Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, we are starting a new series today, a new series. Who's excited for a new series? Come on. Uh, titled, This Is Our God. Now, not only is it a new series, it's going to be our longest series. Like, we're going to be in this for the full year. Like, all of 2022, buckle up. Now, not only is it going to be our longest series, it's going to be our best series. I really believe it. It cannot be our best series. What we're doing in this series is I'm starting today in the book of Genesis, and then we're going to go all the way through the Bible, all 66 books. Next week's going to be Exodus, and so on. So we got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1st and Kings, 1st and Samuel, so on and so forth. I could have kept going to impress you, but I'll stop right there, okay? Um, if you were, I, I, and I didn't grow up in church. I don't know the Bible school song. Like, my wife's like, Genesis, Exodus. I'm like, what are you doing? Right now? I learned it when I was the five. I was like, what? Anyways, um, I didn't learn the song. I just read the Bible a lot, okay? Anyways, um, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so quick question. Um, uh, oh, quick little caveat. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. As we go through all 66 books, I might condense some of the books, AKA Ezra and Nehemiah, it's one story. So I'm not like, like hold on a second, I thought you were gonna do every book. And then also Leviticus, it's a compliment to the Pentateuch, the five books, there's four books in there. The Leviticus is just the boundaries and the law that's given. So I might not preach out of Leviticus, I might. If you beg me hard enough, please Leviticus, I might do it, okay? <laughs> Give us more law, um, that'd be hilarious, um, but today, Today, we're in the book of Genesis. I'm excited. Uh, I believe it's uh, going to be a powerful message. Uh, And I want to kind of give you a little context real quick. Uh, Genesis is this amazing book, and it covers basically the birth of mankind, the birth of creation. And and it's hard. I'm I'm picking one story from each book to show you just the goodness of God, the promises of God, the the power of God, the blessing of God. And and so I picked Genesis 29 today, and we'll get to that in a second. But I gotta give you kind of a quick synopsis so you understand what's going on. So God creates uh, uh, the the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1, then Adam and Eve, uh, and then Adam and Eve blow it, and then uh, you know, then uh, their kids are born, and then they blow it again, and then Noah uh, comes, and then Noah um, you know, uh, is used to redeem the earth uh, through the flood and the ark. The ark's a big picture of Jesus, and then mankind blows it again, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it's mankind blowing it, and then Jesus fixing it, mankind blowing it, and Jesus fixing it. Then he comes to Abraham saying, Abraham, I'm going to promise a, uh, a Messiah through your, through your life, through, through your lineage, through your seed uh, is going to come a Messiah. And this is when it gets really good, is then through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then of course Judah's in there, uh, and to Joseph, the book of Genesis is this rhythm of promise from God and a prize to come. But in the midst of the promise to God, from God, and the prize to come, there is this big old thing called the process. And Genesis really is us embracing the process. I wanna show you this real quick in Genesis 12. I hope you um, uh, um, uh, can read the screen or you brought your Bible or you're reading at home. Here we go, Genesis 12 says this. Then the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. This is promise is not only for Abraham, it's, it's for us. Uh, do you wanna be made great? Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Come on, Jesus, I'm gonna make you great. The, the chapter before was uh, um, people of the world saying, I'm gonna make a tower and make myself, make myself. They never ever succeed when we try to make ourselves. Allow God to make you, okay? You're not a good maker, he's a good maker. Uh, I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Oh, what a promise right there. John 10, 10, we see it again when Jesus comes. He says, I have come to uh, give you a rich and satisfying life. In other words, I've come to give you an abundant life, super abundant. So Jesus comes on scene, same promise to Abraham is the same promise we get. And here's what Abraham does. Abraham departs uh, as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. 
So this is the salvation moment for Abram. He was not a good Christian guy. God didn't pick Abram because he was the nicest guy. Uh, basically, Abram, Abram had the um, black cowboy hat. There was no cowboys with the white cowboy hat, and they were protecting the village. Everybody was bad, okay? Jesus saw somebody and said, I'm going to be good to somebody, and I'm going to bring Jesus through their lineage. Abram was actually worshiping the sun god we see, actually, if we studied the word um, um, all the way through. So, so Abram wasn't a good guy. God's just really good. Can we get an amen for God being really good? He didn't pick you because you're good. He picked you because he's good, okay? So he picks Abraham. So Abraham left and instructed Lot, uh, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old. Now let's fast forward to Abraham's death. Abraham uh, lived for 175 years, and he died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life. Woo, there it is, the promise, and it came to fruition. A hundred years later, he can say about his life, it was rich and satisfying. He breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. It's amazing to me how many Christians I meet and they hear the promise. I've come to give you an abundant life, Jesus says, a rich and satisfying life. Some of us think that it actually gives us a bypass around the process. I'm here to tell you it binds you to the process. That, that it, it knits you to the process of God. That if he's come to give you an abundant life, he's gonna be committed to getting the things that would steal the abundance from you. He's committed to going to your heart and saying, this would steal the abundance. This would steal the abundance. This would steal the promise. And he's willing to be a great surgeon, a great tour guide, a great leader and guider and coach, if you will, to take the things that are in your life that would steal from the prize and get it out of your backpack so when you arrive, oh, it's rich and satisfying. Now, uh, I love uh, National Geographic stuff. My favorite animal is a lion. Second place is eagle, both apex predators, king of the sky, king of the land. Come on now, okay? Um, I always think it's funny to be like, my favorite animal is a sloth. Why? I don't get it, okay? Um, uh, so anyways, there's different people out there, different animals for different people. So anyways, um, now golden retriever is my favorite dog. That's not an apex dog. It's like the sweetest dog. Uh, my wife calls me a golden retriever. Anyways, okay. So, um, so you have lions and you have eagles. So something I learned about eagles uh, recently I thought was fascinating was uh, when an eagle is um, getting older, six to nine weeks, it is time for that eagle to fly. But the reality is the eagle will not fly without being nudged or without being made uncomfortable. Uh, this is called stirring the nest. The mother eagle will come to the uh, baby eagle and start making the, the nest a little less more comfortable. It'll start taking things from the nest, won't bring food back to the nest anymore, to where the eagle's like, if I stay here, I'm gonna die. And the reality is, is that if you do studies, if a eagle is orphaned, it will not fly. It will never learn how to fly. If, if, it is, if it is orphaned, it will just walk around like a chicken. And the reality is, is until you are adopted by God, you ain't never gonna fly. The reality is, is that God is going to come into your life, and the, the, the American dream sells us this, make a nest. Uh, get a marriage, that's your nest, everything's comfortable. The reality is, is can I just give you real quick, your spouse is not the prize. Your spouse is not the destination, they're a compliment. Your career, if you're chasing after career, your career is not a nest where like, everything's perfect. Can I tell you real quick, there's only one nest and it's heaven, and that's when it's really, really good. Everything else is you flying and flying and flying some more. So my prayer today is, as we see Genesis 29, we're going to see God take Jacob and get him out of his nest. His, his mom was uh, what I call helicopter mom in Genesis, where she's basically, she loves Jacob. She helps Jacob manipulate, wants Jacob to get everything. So she says, what, what are we doing here, Jacob? Okay, Jacob, we're going to go here. Okay, you're going to do this, Jacob. You're going to do this, Jacob. And eventually, Jacob has to leave that nest and learn how to become a son of God. And some of you, okay, I just encourage you, you may think your uncomfortable seasons are bad. No, God is actually teaching you how to fly again. Bible says that he wants us to soar like eagles. And I could give you a lot of uh, uh, illustrations of that, but a different time, a different day. Sound good? Are you guys ready to learn how to be a son and a daughter of God? Yes. This, there's not a better thing you could do. 
There's a not more fruitful and fulfilling thing you can do than actually learn how to live for God and actually live like Jesus. You, there is nothing better. I'm going to pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing. God, we give you this time. God, I pray right now that uh, this will be a time where there will be no, I come against distractions. If the enemy can't defeat us and destroy us, he'll just distract us. Well, I come against the enemy right now. No distractions. I speak through the live stream right now. No distractions. God, I pray right now that this will be a time where we hear your word. Your word is life. Your word does heart surgery. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. God, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? Amen. Now, here's the deal. Um, pound for pound, scripture for scripture, you're not going to find more dysfunctional people in a chapter of the Bible. <laughs> Genesis 29. Pound for pound, scripture for scripture, scripture, weakness is found everywhere. The title of my message is the God of my weakness. God of your weakness. He's the, you're going to see weak people make weak decisions and everybody feel pain because of it. And really the whole Bible is us making terrible decisions, us being broken people, making broken decisions, and God breaking in and saying, I'm going to still bless you. I'm still committed to you. I'm still going to shape you. I'm still going to bring you to your promise because it's never going to depend on how good you are. It's always dependent on how good I am. So, so you have this uh, story of Jacob. Jacob manipulates at his home. Uh, he steals his birthright from his brother. He manipulates and makes a deal with his brother. All throughout Jacob's life, he has been manipulating and wheeling and dealing. It catches up to him to where now it's going to cost him his life and he has to flee his land, aka he has to leave the nest. And now he shows up at his relative's house, Laban. Jacob's feeling pretty slick in a sense because every time that he has manipulated, he has prevailed in a sense. It's amazing to me that some of you think that your manipulation has gotten you somewhere. It's amazing to me that you think that doing it your way has actually gotten you further, but when you really look at Jacob's life and you look at the end of it, he starts to realize that the years of manipulation stole years from him and also stole relationships from him. You may think manipulation's helping you, it's stealing from you. Oh, I pray that God opens your eyes to that today. Let's turn our Bibles, Genesis 29, Genesis 29. Pound for pound, here we go. Oh, uh, real quick, um, another reason why uh, we're teaching this, uh, doing this series is uh, three things. Uh, I got to share it. It's the first week. I'm trying to make sure I, uh, I'm efficient today. But the three things why I'm doing this new series is this is our God. Is the first one is I want you just to find out who God is. A.W. Tozer said the best that the, the single most important thing about you is actually how you view God, how you see God, because it will affect how you see yourself. And the second most important thing that I want you to see is I want you to actually get to see things in your own self. The, the word, the word uh, says that the Bible is a mirror. That the more and more you hear the word of God uh, preached and you read it, you start to see things in yourself that should never be there. You start to see things that, that are holding you back, that are attacking you, that are actually causing death and not life. And the third thing is, I want you to fall in love with the Bible. I want you to fall in love with reading the Word of God. Not it being some just piece on the mantle, but it actually becomes a thing that you actually can't wait to read. And as you hear one story in Genesis, it might inspire you to read all of Genesis. Now, the reason why I give you this little preface is, I wish somebody would have told me when I read Genesis, this little line. The story of Genesis is a story of things of what did happen, not what should have happened. AKA, none of this stuff is God's approval. I mean, man making bad decisions, it's not God going, I'm so glad you're doing it. All it does is actually show the pain of what happens when we make those decisions. And so we're going to see Genesis 29, and we're going to see just an epic train wreck. And uh, I didn't tell the first service this, and I should have. The first 20 minutes of my message is just sad. Not a lot of funny stories. Not a lot of good news in it. It's just the weakness of man. And so just buckle up for the first 20. Got a lot of good truth. And then the last 10, ooh, it's really good. I got some funny stories. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to build you up. It's got the good news in it. It's got grace in it. But the first 20, it's just about how much man really tries to, oh, it just grosses out. Are you ready for this? 
I literally saw the first service, the first five minutes to start going. <laughs> it's getting sadder and sadder. But by the end, they're like, okay, good, okay? So I'm just preparing, all right? Here we go. Genesis 29.1, after Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because you're relatives. Tell me how, you, uh, how uh, much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was Rachel. There was, one, uh, there was no sparker in Leah's eyes. Okay, she was weak on the eyes. Leah was unattractive, okay? Uh, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. The first weakness we see in this message, the God of my weakness, is the weakness of our wants. The weakness of our wants. Now, now we, we read this through the, the lens of American movies. I love Rachel. I'd work seven years for her. Let me give you some context real quick. Now, the culture back then, the bride price was 36 to 40 shekels. 36 to 40 shekels to marry bride. Now, average salary per month was two shekels. He said, I'm going to work seven years for you, Laban. That's 168 shekels for one bride. He is willing to overpay because his want is so big. He got some daddy wounds. You know what I think is funny about the, the book of Genesis? Is that we go, oh, what a primitive story of archaic times. Yeah, it's really archaic. It deals with daddy wounds. It deals with a gal who's really beautiful, who gets advanced in society because of her beauty. I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore today. Oh, okay. Anyways, so it shows wants leading somebody. Can I ask you something real quick? What is your biggest want? Don't say it out loud. Your biggest want. The enemy wants to find out your biggest want and have you overpay your life for it. Do you think Laban loves, uh, I mean, do you think Jacob loves Rachel? He don't even know her yet. Jacob got daddy wounds. He sees a girl who's really pretty and goes, if I have her, then my life will mean something. I'm willing to overpay because I have a hole in my heart. I see this happen all the time when I was a youth pastor and now being a pastor of adults. Man, everybody ages, but not everybody matures. They all bring their childhood wounds into stuff. They'll go on dates with, I'll see girls go on dates with a guy and because they have this huge want to be loved, they will give a guy way more than he ever should have. They overpay in that date because they have a want in their heart. The weakness of our wants will hurt you on a date. I see grown men and grown women who have such a want to be validated, such a want to be fulfilled, that they will overpay at a career, give their life away, overpay their family, overpay everything they got for simply this so they can say, get a good job at work because they have a want to be validated. If the enemy knows your wants, he will leverage against you to own you and destroy you. We see the first thing is the weakness of our wants. Now, I want to encourage you uh, that God's going to uh, redeem that. But that's 20 minutes from now. Let's keep going. Okay. So now, uh, agreed, Laban replied, I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Okay. All right. Uh, I like it. It's cute. It's beautiful. Okay. Um, but really, that's not the heart of the story. But our American lens grabs that. Oh, my gosh. I, I want to I find somebody who, like, it feels like just one minute feels like 10 days, or 10 days feels like one minute. Bear with me. Okay, here we go. Um, uh, so uh, the next one is this. Agreed, Laban, I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob's seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for uh, uh, her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. It's interesting to me. Uh, the next point I have is we see the weakness of our wants. The second one is that we see the weakness of the world. You get the weakness of your wants, dating the weaknesses of this world, ooh, it's going to get gross. This chapter is one chapter, but it's 14 years of Jacob's life. 14 years of him just circling the same mountain. 14 years of him toiling for this thing to be filled in his heart. 14 years of him chasing the wrong things. Now, what do I mean by the weakness of this world? 
Now, Jacob was slick, super slick, but Laban was slicker. Jacob was really good at making deals, Woo! but Laban was even better at making deals. Jacob had only lived at home and didn't know how the world really operated yet. And so Jacob goes, okay, I'll work seven years for you, but I want, I want your daughter. And Laban never says the name. Jacob never reads the fine print. He goes, well, it's better for you to marry my daughter than anybody else. He just says daughter. He got two. So Laban, from the very beginning, is plotting. He is plotting against your ploy. We come into the world with ploys and ideas, and the world already has a big plan. I'm gonna use you to advance my game. And so you may think you're good at being slick. You're gonna eventually meet somebody who is slicker, if that's how you wanna operate in life. And so Jacob meets somebody, uh, and it's simply this, a weak world. Can I tell you something real quick? I've never been taken advantage of more, never been hurt by, uh, more by, than by weak people that I've met. Strong people don't hurt people. Strong people don't take advantage of people. Weak people do. Hurting people hurt people. People who don't think they can get to a place on their own with God's strength will step on people's shoulders and backs and heads and names to get to where they want to go. So Laban is a weak man thinking that there's no way that his other daughter can get married. So he's going to uh, manipulate his own strength and he's going to use people to unload his burden onto somebody else. The world just wants to give you more burden after burden because they don't want to carry it. And the reality is, is when the weakness of the world becomes your friend and how you try to uh, go forward, you are going to go around the mountain for the rest of your life. Watch out for the weakness of this world. So here we go. Um, world's full of weak people, by the way. Full of them. I should know. I'm one of them. You, 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 you need to know some. You is too. Just some more good news for you. Let's keep going. Come on. Who brought the bad news bear, huh? Give him some honey. All right, here we go. Um, so now we have the weakness of the world. And now also, I want to show you this, the weakness of Leah's lot. The weakness of Leah's lot. So, so before I move on, I got to show you this real quick. So you have Laban's plot and Leah's lot. And you have Jacob's want in that, okay? So um, something I find fascinating in this story is that we see Leah's lot in life. And I'm very protective over Leah. She's like the kid that you see in like a TV show that gets picked last in the kickball game. And you're just like, oh, I pick you first, you know? It's like the kid who's standing in the corner, nobody cares about it. Get over here, I'm gonna give you a hug, kid. Like, like this is Leah, basically, in the story. I'm very protective of her. And the reality is, is Leah is born into this world and culture defines what the winds are. And Leah has none of the winds that culture defines. And so Leah's lot in life is not a great lot. And the reality is, is everybody in this room, you were given a lot in life. You were born to two parents or one parent, you were born an orphan. You were born beautiful or not beautiful by whoever standards you want to say. And, and again, that, that, we'll touch that in just a second. Who determines beauty is a whole other thing. Uh, you were born into rich or you're born into poor. You were born into abuse or you're born into a sweet family. All of us were born into a lot. And the reality is I was born into a lot in my life. And for the longest time, I blamed my lot for where I was. I was born into poverty. We were on food stamps. I was born in an abusive home. And that kind of marked my life and determined what I was and how I saw life. And the reality is the more and more you read things, you find out about this world, you realize that your lot is just a place. It is not a destination. Some of you need to hear this. Your past is not your promise. Your, 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 your past things, that's actually not what dictating your future. And so I remember my lot. And I remember reading this for the first time. It encouraged me. And it was just a worldly encouragement when I was a young kid. But I found out 80% of first generation millionaires are not millionaires. They come actually from poor homes. The reality is, is that 20% is from inheritance, but the other 80%, they learn about the grind and hard work of life, and they become millionaires because they never knew comfort. So they don't love comfort, they love hard work. And so I remember being a young kid, like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live a rich and satisfied. Well, you know what? There's some good things about being poor. I, I, I still appreciate going out to eat every time, don't matter where I'm going. It doesn't matter if it's Taco Bell or if it's Ruth Chris. We didn't eat out as a family. First time we ate out was when I was 17 years old. It was at Red Robin. We all sat down and we were like, we doing this, huh? We do. Dad, your card gonna work? 
Well, we believe it. We hope so. I remember sitting there ordering a burger. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're eating outside actually for the first. It was like, it was an amazing thing. But it shaped me and God used it. Now, people who are rich, you may say, I got the best lot. The reality is Mount Gladwell did this, that, that if you are raised in comfort and you're raised in, in, in a rich atmosphere, it actually sets you up to fail, not to win. You don't learn the grind. You don't learn hard, hard work. Uh, and, and the reality is, is we look at everybody's lot. Can I just put it this way? Everybody has a hard lot. Until you have Jesus, everybody's lot's hard. Now, who's this harder? We can debate that later on. Of course, some people have harder lots. That's, that's, that's a proven fact. But what I'm trying to share with you, in this room, everybody's given a lot, and it was not the lot that none of us desired. Sin brought that lot in your life. Sin brought it. Sin brought worse lots for others, maybe not so worse for others, but we're all having a lot. And we're going to see God redeem that lot. We're going to see God take the person who has the worst lot in Genesis 29 and give them the best lot. She doesn't get it from the world. She gets it from God. So if you feel like somebody right now, I, mean, I just don't like my lot in life. You're about to get encouraged in about 10 minutes. Okay, here we go. So we see the weakness of want, the weakness of the world, the weakness of uh, Leah's lot. Let's keep going. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Thank you. Ugh. you guess what the theologians said, ready? The weakness of our past. The theologians have such a hard time with this verse. It is so crass. It is so gross. A man who loves Rachel says, give me mine so I can sleep with her. A man who loves a girl would say, Oh, I can't wait to honor and serve and cherish this gift that God's given me. This is a broken man whose past is seeping into his verbiage. He says, give me mine so I can sleep with her. You can, you can hear his daddy wounds in his verbiage. You can hear his brokenness in his verbiage. Uh, I, I remember um, uh, we, Rachel and I saw a commercial last week. I thought it was hilarious. It's like a Trident commercial. It's a new one. It was like this six-year-old kid sitting down uh, having dinner with a, a father, and he's dating a girl, and she, she's not in the room at the moment, and he's chewing the gum, and he goes, Mr. Philbin, your daughter is a wonderful kisser. And then it just gets really awkward. And like, fan of awkward moments? Grab a Trident. You know, it's like, Rachel's like... I, I, I started laughing so hard, like that would be the last, I was like, Rachel, if we have a daughter and a kid says it, he's gonna die. I'd kill him, I'd kill a kid. It was like, your daughter is a great kisser, Mr. Johnson. What? You know, like, it's the last thing you say at that moment to a father. The reality is, is that when you have the weakness of your past, you do the last thing you should ever do. You say the last thing you should ever say. You operate the last way on the list that you should operate. Because your past starts to dictate how you navigate and see people. It makes, it makes what marriage should be, and it takes to the bottom of what marriage shouldn't be. Somebody who's supposed to be, he's making her a tool to satisfy him instead of actually a jewel to treasure and precious, uh, to be precious. Man, if you don't deal with the weakness of your past, it will come into your present, and it will impact and infect your present. So we see the weakness of the past. Tyler, where's the good news? <laughs> We're getting there. So let's keep going. Uh, so Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast, but that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. So I always was kind of freaked out by this. It's like, bro, like, did you not see her? Like, you know, like, 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 I'm always like, like, I, and again, we have to unpack this real quick. Like, like, she just walked in and you're like, who are you? Like, 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 like this is weird. Now, why doesn't he know it's Le uh, Leah? Let me give you a little context. Weddings back then were not like our weddings where it was just the day of, you did your pictures and all that kind of stuff. The first, the first look, you know, like I remember the first time I walked in and I saw Rachel for the first look, she turned around, I was like, oh my gosh, my girl, you know, um, that, that doesn't happen here. What happens is for days, sometimes weeks, there is this wedding ceremony where the, the bride wears a veil, you can't see her face. Uh, and so this veil, you can see her face and you drink a lot. You know, I thought being drunk is against the rules of the Bible. First of all, they had no Bible back then. They had one rule, don't kill people, okay? 
So Jacob is just turning it all the way up. You know what I'm saying? Woo! You know, so he is drunk, okay? This is the reality of the story. Jacob is drunk. Leah comes in. She is veiled. It's dark. He sleeps with Leah. This is how this happened, okay? Goes on to say, but when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Huh. Right here, we see the weakness of the American dream. The weakness of the American dream. Uh, one of my favorite theologians was talking about his favorite theologian, so I started studying that theologian, and this theologian said this about this moment. Eventually, if culture is your dream, we all wake up to Leah. We all wake up to Aaliyah, because the world sells you Rachel, but then when you wake up to it, you realize it will never satisfy me. If I put it this way, the world is a big 50-yard fake-out. From a distance, the world is beautiful, but you get closer and closer, it is ugly, ugly, ugly. Career, oh, career is going to satisfy me. Then you get to career, you wake up. This is not what I actually saw happening in my career. You get married and you think marriage is going to satisfy you. You say, this is not what I saw happening in my marriage. It's an amazing thing that the theologian doubles down and says this. The Bible is the most unsentimental of all books when it comes to the subject of marriage and family. It is utterly realistic about this. It is always hard and often devastating not to be married. But it's always, uh, always often hard and sometimes devastating to be married. It's saying being married is devastating and sad at times, and being single is devastating and sad at times. And what's interesting is we actually make one better than the other. Neither are better than the other. Only if we have Jesus, it becomes better. Amen. And so you have this moment of the weakness of the American dream being exposed here. Because he didn't have the American dream, but he had the Jacob dream. And so you've been, we always talk about idols, like the bad ones, but we never talk about conservative idols. Conservative idols would be this. I want to live a good life. I want to get the house. I want to get the kids. I want to get the dog. I want to get the bride. I want to get the groom, whichever one. I want to have some kids. I want to get the career. And then we'll just have a nice little thing and we'll be great. And then you wake up and you realize that's nothing that you thought. It's more like a Leah than it is a Rachel. Man, the American dream is a weakness. And if you can see it and start chasing something else, it will change your life. Let's keep going. It is not our custom to have to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied, but wait until the bridal week is over, and uh, then we'll give you, Rachel, to, uh, to provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So this little bride price uh, is now not 40 shekels of what it should be. It's 376, almost 10 times more than he should have paid in this season, 14 years. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Stop. This is an amazing uh, moment. You think Jacob would push back? No, that's not fair, man. No, just give me both. I don't need to work another seven years. You can see the revelation moment almost in Jacob's response that he doesn't push back because Jacob can see himself in Laban now. And really, if I could just give you a, a, a point real, you, you never do sin. Sin does you. And you think you're in charge of sin. The Bible is completely opposite of us being in charge of sin. Sin actually, it says, crouch the door, learning how to master you, to control you, to kill you. And Jacob has been living a sinful life, and he is reaping this sinful life. The Bible says, reap what we sow. And now he is tasting the same thing that he's reaped his whole life. Can you imagine processing this? Like, hold on a second. I, I went into my dad's room, and it was dark. He couldn't see. He lost his sight, so it was dark. I covered my face. I covered my body. And I presented myself to be the firstborn so I could steal from the firstborn. And then now Laban gave me the firstborn, covered her face when it was dark, and gave me the firstborn and did this. You did the same thing to me. You were slicker than I am. He doesn't push back. Probably has this moment and goes, this is, what, this, is, this is the type of life I'm living. All right, I'll do it again. He has this first moment where he realizes he's not in charge of sin. 
sin's in charge. If you think you are managing sin, if you think that sin is on the shelf, sin is not on the shelf. It is growing daily in your life if you're not dealing with it, and sin will eventually become a fire and will destroy you. Man, deal with sin or it will deal with you. Somebody did not bring the good news today, but I'm gonna. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Uh, Laban gave Rachel a servant, Billa, to her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Next thing we see is the weakness of our idols. The greatest thing you could ever get in this season of a woman, what culture deemed, was the lottery of all lotteries. Ding, 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 ding. A seven, seven, seven. Winner, 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 chicken dinner is to have a baby. It will make you a real woman. It will make you a desirable because you can provide an heir for the man. This is the most important thing in this culture. Rachel can't do it. Leah did it. And Leah's first response of having a baby is, she names him Reuben, which now my husband will see me. Now I'll be seen as valuable. I've never been validated. I've never been looked at the way that I want to be looked at. But finally, I'll be looked at as the special one because my sister, finally, I can do something she can't do. And the reality is, is this the weakness of idols? Because you'll see her have four more, three more kids and nothing changes. And what I mean by that is, uh, I just can't get past this thought. I, I've been share, I share, shared it at our team prayer and, and Wednesday night, first night, but I got to share it with you real quick. Is um, I was working out with one of my buddies. Anybody time I can say I was working out, it's just nice to say, okay? So I was at the gym. I was telling one of my buddies, he's a flyer. Uh, he, he used to fly. He's, he's a flyer, also known as a pilot. <laughs> he a flyer. Um, so he's a pilot. Um, he was a pilot, and uh, we were talking about flying, and in the midst of our conversation, he shared with me that one of the reasons he didn't enjoy, enjoy flying is it was more stressful than he thought. He thought it would just be open skies, but he said you've got to be in a certain airspace, and if you're one degree off for every 60 miles, you're one mile off of your destination. So, you know, he shared a story where he actually missed, it, uh, he missed actually where you're supposed to land. He's at the wrong airport, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And so uh, I, I started thinking, I was like, man, if I flew to Dubai and I was one degree off, I'd be 100-something miles away from my destination. Imagine you're 10 degrees off, how far you'd be from your destination if you flew just one day. Now imagine your life if it was just a few degrees off. And really the weakness of an idol is this, is the Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, to delight yourself in the Lord, AKA have your life point at God. And it says the desires of your heart will follow you. It'll be given to you. But the idol, idol worship, but everybody was like, what is idolatry? Here's what idolatry is. You take what you're supposed to point at and you move it to the right and says, if I get this person, all my desires will follow me. If I get this career, all my desires will follow me. If I get this one thing, all my desires will follow me. And the reality is, is when you point your life at an idol, you realize that you gotta keep flying and you just get farther and farther from what your heart desires, not actually closer and closer. This is idol worship. This is the weakness of idolatry. And if I could just put it this way, life is hard. Idolatry just makes it way harder. It just makes it super, super hard. Life's already hard. But idolatry, woo! It is destroying and devastating. Man, if I could just encourage you this week, whatever you think you want or need, man, just wake up and say, Lord, I chase after you today. I'm not going to be one degree off today and chase something. I chase after you today. Let's keep going. Rome's done. So it goes on, uh, the weakness of our idols. Um, she soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. For the Lord has heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. The weakness of our wounds. Ooh, the weakness of our wounds. You know what the weakness of our wounds does? This girl doesn't even have one lottery. She wins two lotteries. She should be like, whoo, I got the best life. I got another kid. You know, can you imagine being at this baby shower? What are you going to name it? Leah, what are you going to name your baby? Michael Jordan, David, like, you know, warrior, fierce warrior. 
no, I'm going to name him Simeon because nobody loves me. Like, oh, good for you. Okay. Like, guess the baby name. Unloved? Yeah. You know, like, be a weird baby shower. The reality is, is that when God brings gifts into your life, if you haven't dealt with your wounds, you will name them the wrong things. The reality is, is if you don't deal with the wounds of your life, when gifts come, you just go, well, whatever. Well, it is what it is. I mean, I mean, one day I'll, somebody will like, well, one day I'll get my break. You ever meet the one day people? Well, eventually. Or how about the people are always like, well, my lower teams are going to lose. Always, always processing the worst instead of receiving the best. I mean, there's something about if you don't deal with the weakness of your wounds, you'll label seasons they should never been labeled. You'll label seasons of, of great growth as punishment and destruction. You'll label seasons of God doing something great in your life as God not even being in your life. Man, deal with your wounds. The weakness of the wounds will have you label the wrong things. Last but not least, we're almost to the good news. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named Levi. Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. So I've given him three sons. It's interesting. I, I think it's funny. She goes, surely, surely now he'll love me. And really what she's having this epiphany is, is if he ain't going to love me with three sons, he ain't going to love me with a thousand sons. What's your surely? What is your surely that you haven't got a thousand of yet that you need to know right now that he's not going to fix you? Sure. Some of us think like, okay, I know, like, I trust God with this stuff, but like, if I want a billion dollars, surely that's going to actually like make my life amazing. Check the stats. It doesn't. We all have surely's that we're still holding on to. The sooner you can start Stop chasing after your Shirley's. Well, surely once, I mean, I know, I know you said this, but surely if I get this one, there are no Shirley's. There is a savior. And some of us got to, I pray right now, God's dealing with your Shirley's, your wounds, your weaknesses, because I believe this, this message for me was profound. It was shaping my heart, but I had some Shirley's in my heart. I threw them out. I'm not going to let any Shirley's determine my value or my wins in life. I already have my wins. I already have my value. Watch out for your Shirley's. Last but not least, once again, Lee became pregnant. This is where, like, you know, I love, the, I love the chapter. I love this Genesis 29. I think it's a powerful picture of the gospel. But I want to know when Lee got saved in between these uh, few kids, because she got saved. She, she knew about God. Jacob had a salvation moment in Genesis 28, the latter. But, but she got saved. She talked about Elohim. Now, there was different translations of, uh, in the Old Testament that would be used for just normal God, because there was gods around. But then there was Yahweh, the personal name of God. She's using the personal name. So she heard about God from Jacob. Somewhere along that moment, Leah got saved. Because when she got saved, here's what happens. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah. For she said, now I praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. Huh. She stopped having children. Read the next verse. She has a handful more. That's a bad translation. Do you know what it says? Let me just, let me just show you the amazingness of this verse. The weakest one becomes the strongest one at this moment in this, in this, in this story. She said, okay, here's the deal. I got saved. No man validates me anymore. No kid validates me anymore. My looks don't validate me. God validates me. So here's what's going to happen. My next kid, I'm naming Judah because my life means praise. You know what praise means? Worship. It means proskuneo. It means to have your life point towards something and to bow towards something. She's saying, this one, my life is pointing towards God, and now I'm a worshiper and not a whiner. Now I'm a worshiper and overcomer, not somebody who had a bad lot. I got a great lot in life because I found my God. Something to be said about somebody who goes from somebody who used to just wail in their lot to now worshiping God for what God has given them. Oh, she got saved. Can, can I just encourage you real quick that, that God wants to take your lot and take... God wastes nothing in your lot. Nothing. All the pain that you've been through, 
all the betrayals you've been through, if you could just have your moment and say, this season, I'm going to name it Judah. I'm going to name this season Judah because I'm going to praise God. All my idols, I'm going to point towards God and watch what happens to my life. So I want to finish this. I'm going to ask Jim to come up and play some keys, make it all spiritual. I'm going to share five good news lessons to all the weakness that you just heard. Five good news lessons. Five good news lessons. Are you ready for some good news? First thing, this is good news for you. God works with weak people. God works. That, that, that should encourage you. I don't know about you, but when I used to read the Bible, I'd want to find the hero in it. David slaying Goliath. There's a hero for you. Oh, David getting Uriah murdered. Okay, never mind. That's a, that's a, there's some tension there with that guy, you know? Hey, stealing somebody's wife and having a guy murdered. Like, you were the hero. Oh, David. You know, like, like I mean, you look at Abraham. What a, what a guy. Abraham, I'm afraid. Here, you can have my wife. Oh, Abraham, that's not, heroes don't do that. Oh, you know? You know, Jacob. You're like, oh, Jacob, you can be the hero. No, Jacob ain't Thor. He's Loki. Like, he's just the, the, a little sniveling sneak. And the reality is, is that when you read Genesis 29, there are no heroes. If there was an Olympic competition of the weakest people on the planet, it would be like this, with the gold medal, Laban. But I'm the weakest one, all right. Second place, Jacob. Third place, Leah. Fourth place, we don't talk about Rachel a lot in this one. Rachel, you know, by her. And you'd be like, where's the strong ones? The reality is this chapter is full of the depravity of man and God still doesn't give up on them. It's the depravity of their weakness and God goes, you can have your plans, you can have your ploys, but my providence will still prevail. And what I love about that is when I was younger, it drove me nuts. I hated that guy, like, God, like, get somebody else. And now I'm like, thank you for not getting somebody else. I'm so glad you work through weak people. Because if not, you'd be done with me already. If not, he'd be done with you. If you're impressed with yourself right now, your weakness is pride. We'll talk about that another day. But the reality is, is that you should be encouraged that God works through weak people because we're all weak. We've all made terrible decisions. We've all done things we don't want people to know. This is the reality of it. Second thing that we see, good news. Good news is this, is God works not just with weak people, but he works in your life through weak people. Through weak people. Who's the person that shapes Jacob the most in this 14 years? God goes, I'm not going to waste this. I'm going to use the weakest one of all, Laban, to shake my Jacob. I've got plans for Jacob's life. I've got plans for him. There's a promise on his life. And so Laban becomes a spiritual sandpaper to get off manipulation and the slickness of his worldly ways. People in your life that are the worst ones, I look at my worst moments in my life, my worst bosses, my worst family members, and now I look at my life and say, God, that's actually what shaped me today to be the kinder boss. I had bosses that looked at me like a tool. And I remember just bothering me and it would, it, would, it would really just rub against the wrong way. And I remember just writing down things. Man, when I, when I become a senior pastor, every person that I get to hire, they will be a person to be treasured. I will serve them. And my prayer is that I'd have their dreams come to fruition. If I wouldn't have been taken advantage like that, I would have done the same thing. It's amazing what happens when you get to see the grossness of the world and say, I don't want that anymore. God uses the weakest things to shape us. Come on, he uses the weakest people. Third one is this, God works in weak people. We see this, if you were gonna pick who is Jesus gonna be birthed through, would you have picked Leah? I wouldn't have picked Leah. It's the last on my list I would have picked. And God says, I'm gonna pick the weakest one to birth the greatest thing ever, and the seed of Jesus will come through Leah, not through Rachel, not the most beautiful thing, but through Leah. There's just something to be said about our weakest, most worst parts of us, God can still use to birth the greatest things. Almost done, I got, I got two more. God makes the weak strong. That's good news. It makes the weak strong. Leah becomes the strongest one. She gets her life back. She gets her swagger back. She, 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 got, she got a different kind of swagger the way she talks. Um, I worked at McDonald's when I was in high school. Uh, shout out to Mickey. Who loves Mickey D's? Mickey D's. 
uh, if we were doing the stream. Hey, Ryan, Mickey, uh, put a hamburger emoji in the chat. I'm just kidding. Um, I love like, when people do the stream. Uh, give me a flame fire for McDonald's. Okay, anyways. Um, so, uh, come on now. Uh, so I worked at McDonald's. I know, I don't get twisted. I could have worked at the movie theater. That was second place for me because free movies. Or I could have worked at the Gap. That was cool back then, okay? But I wanted free McDonald's. Don't judge me. So I worked there for two years of high school. So when I was 16, and I would fantasize sometimes when I was back in the grill, if I was ever boss, I'd fire a ton of people here. <laughs> Don't judge me. You didn't work with these people. One of the guys, I'd work with him, he would take like a 30, 40 minute nap and just, just nap for days. And, and, uh, and, uh, and then he'd come back and I'd be back in the grill by myself. And this was during 39 cent cheeseburger time. So I ordered 10 cheeseburgers, 30, $3.90. That happens three times in a row. Do the math, that's 30, I'm by myself, pop, 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 just making cheeseburgers. And I'm like, where is Matt? His name was Matt, shout out. Where is Matt? You know, looking for Matt, looking for Matt. He's not there, I was like, oh man, I'm gonna fire that guy. And then uh, the second one is there was this girl who'd come in and she wouldn't talk with me, she would talk at me for four hours. I'm just wearing me down with story after story. It was just, she was just a chatterbox. And I love talking, but like there's people where like they talk, but they're not talking, they're like, like verbally attacking you in a story. You're like, just please stop, my ear's bleeding, you know? Like, so I'd fire Miss Chatty, okay? Third one, there's an older lady, and uh, I was 16 at the time, and she was hitting on me, saying, I can't wait for you to be 18. Super inappropriate, hashtag me too, okay? Anyways, I've been there, all right? Was I allowed to say it? I did, all right? I'm gonna fire Miss Inappropriate, okay? Uh, and so I remember like I'd come into work one day and I'd say, hey, fired, 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 fired. Get out of here. And then everybody else would be like, man, McDonald's is a great place to work. You're welcome. I fired all the people that were stealing from us. The reality is Leah realized that God gave her authority over the things that was stealing from her. Hey, shame, fired. Hey, world trying to validate me, fired. Hey, men trying to, uh, uh, trying to be the thing that I'd find my, my worth in, fired. Firing all the sins of the world saying, I'm gonna praise my God. Sin, you're fired. Sin has lost its thing. You're no longer in charge of me. God, you're my God. You have authority to fire the things that are stealing from you. Stop trying to pass the buck. Fire him this year. Say, no longer will this own me. You, you, you have the authority and the power and the people around you to help you fire the things that are stealing. He'll make the weak strong. And last but not least, what makes our God different? What makes our God different? Simply put, uh, grace. People always ask me, what's different about Christianity than other, any other religion, Tyler? And I don't gotta go, you know, no, grace. Grace. You won't find any other religion. Buddha's, Buddha's last words, strive unceasingly. Jesus' last words, it is finished. Every other religion, climb the ladder to God. Our, our religion, our, our Christianity is Jesus became the ladder. Man couldn't get to God, God got to us. We, we aren't good enough to get to him. So grace came down to us. So, so where, where do we tie this in, the God of my weakness? I'm gonna give it to you real quick. You's Aaliyah, I'm Aaliyah. Because we always, we always, who would I be in this story, right? I love that, I always love doing that. Would I be Jacob or Laban? I think I'd be Rachel. Hey, stop it, okay? Y'all Leah, I'm Leah. Because the reality is we all have ugly parts of our life, just like Leah, her ugly part was her face. You gotta understand something. She had the same figure as Rachel. Throughout the day, she had a veil on, but she looked very similar to Rachel. She had a nice figure it looked like, because it says that Rachel had one. It wasn't like a complete difference. Jacob would have been able to tell that during the day. Again, Leah may not have been a 10 for Jacob, but she's a 10 for somebody. And so she has this veil and she uses it to get into rooms where she didn't get into. And the reality is we do the same thing. We use religion to cover our ugliness to get into rooms we shouldn't get into. We use performance to cover things in our life, the wounds of our life, so we can get into rooms we shouldn't get into. We use a marriage or kids to cover parts of our life like a veil to get into things that we think we gotta get into. And the reality is you said, I'm gonna tear the veil. I'm gonna tear the things that you try to cover your life with so you can actually expose your weakness and I can actually deal with it. I mean, 
it, it, it's nice not everybody knowing your weakness, but what if it never gets exposed to get dealt with? And so Paul is pleading with God, can you just take my weakness? Can you just, can you just veil it? Can you put a veil over it? And he realized God's not gonna take it. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, and we'll finish. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ may, re uh, may rest on me. He's saying, you know what? Look at my weakness. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna boast about it. I'm gonna show it to God. I'm gonna give it to God. And here's what it says. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the gospel message that when you actually let God deal with your weaknesses and your brokenness, you actually become strong. Ooh, that's the grace message. I, uh, I remember saying this when I was 18 a lot. I would never do that. Remember pastors failing like, oh, I can't believe they did that. Remember heroes that were of mine failing. I'm like, I can't believe they failed like that. Now I'm in my 30s. Oh, I'm going to be 40 this year. In the last five years, I just, I'll be driving around and I'll literally see brokenness in me I didn't know I had. And I'll say, God, I'm so broken. If this stays here, it's going to ruin my life. I'm so wounded. I didn't even know I was wounded. If this stays here. The older you get, the more you realize not how strong you are, but the weaker you are. The more years you live, the more brokenness you see in your soul, not the, not the more strength you see in your soul. And so all I've been doing this last season of my life is, God, would you take this and make it a strength? Would it not have me veer off the road from the things of God? Uh, so one of my, I'd say, heroes from afar fell a couple weeks ago. And I know for a fact when he planted the church, one of the fastest growing churches in America seven years ago, for a fact, he didn't want to uh, resign because he had an affair. That wasn't his plan, but there was something in his soul that he didn't allow the Lord to deal with that he thought that that would make him more happy and it destroy, again, destroying things. And I don't want that for your life. I don't want that for my life. Man, give God your weakness. Will you bow your heads with me? Oh, it's your first time, second time in church, but the first question I want to ask somebody this, you want to say yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. You want to say yes to salvation. If that's you, it's a very simple question. The Bible shows that uh, the greatest weakness of all is not being saved. We are utterly weak. We are dead to victory if we don't know Jesus. So we want to say yes to salvation, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. If you want to say yes to Jesus with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand and catch my eye on the count of three. One, two, three, raise it up, raise it up. I see you, God bless you. I see you, come on now. People in each service, come on, I see you, God bless you, getting saved today. God, I pray this week, God, that when we hear this Genesis 29, it just sounds like a lot of weakness everywhere. And if it ended there, it'd be terrible. But God, I thank you that our life doesn't end with our weakness. It begins with your greatness. So God, we come to the end of ourselves so we can become the beginning of God. We say yes to you this week. We say yes to your strengths. We say yes to tearing the veil and saying, deal with what you got to deal with. God, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.